One, if you must win, you must not be all that good once we're talking this late in the season. And two, must win doesn't mean must win by margin. So keeping that in mind, along with all the insight that you laid out, Ben, I think we can get into some picks for week 18, starting with some sides. I'd love to see if there's anything that catches your eye as the board currently stands on Thursday evening. Yeah, definitely. It is. It is. You know, I, I think you bring up a really good point, especially from like a must win perspective. Like that very much feels overbaked in a lot of ways to the betting market in week 18 in particular. Um, so in some ways, you know, it, it's probably like reassuring to back some of those teams. But in a lot of ways, like you're getting a worse number than if that situation was, you know, a, a, an even playing field, I would say, for both of those teams. So I think in some ways, like you said, you do have to definitely be cautious. But to me, one spot that, you know, I, I kind of going against what I just said, I do think the Buccaneers, especially first half, um, this, this number might have moved a little bit, but I just think the Panthers in particular are, are a team that nece- doesn't necessarily hasn't gotten that like dead cat bounce from firing their coach when they did do it with Frank Reich. And they've been even worse from a, you know, scripted play set uh, so far this season when he wasn't the coach uh, compared to when he actually was. So I think, you know, a first half number on the Buccaneers uh, to potentially at least jump out to an early lead, obviously a must win game for them. Don't want to have that really influence your handicap, but I do think like where these two teams are at, I know the Buccaneers had a little bit of a disappointing performance last week, but I think overall their defense is just a little bit stronger than what, um, you know, the betting market is maybe even pricing in right now. And I do think Carolina, you know, for all intents and purposes, is trying to wrap up this season as quickly as possible, dealing with some outside distractions. I just don't think they're the team uh, that is going to be the one that kind of shows some life when nobody's kind of projecting them to be. So I like the Buccaneers first half. Uh, not quite sure if you have any, you know, preference on that particular match or not. I know it's going to be an ugly one. Not a lot of people want to tune into the Buccaneers Panthers game, uh, but I'd be curious if you're if you have any ideas or approaches on that matchup as well. Yeah. So personally, I was hoping that the must win factor would continue to get baked into this line and we might see the line get up as high as six or I know wishful thinking, but maybe even a touchdown that clearly doesn't seem like it's in the cards. So I went ahead and just plugged my nose, went to the window on a full game ticket on Carolina plus four and a half is the current number. Um, I think that there were some five, five and a half earlier in the week, but five, Every half point matters, but five relatively a dead number. So if you do feel a certain way about the full game, that hasn't shifted in a major way over the course of the week. But I do hear you on the Panthers being one of the least desirable teams, if not the single least desirable team to back from a betting perspective. Not a fun viewing experience. And specifically on the first half angle that you isolated here, not necessarily going head to head. If I'm looking at Carolina for the full game and you're looking at Tampa in the first half, I'm seeing some minus threes with extra juice or some minus three and a half with reduced juice for the Bucks in the first half. I'm wondering, knowing how key of a number three can be, if somebody's not able to get down at every book and they can't get a Tampa minus three at minus 120 or better for the first half, would you say then that you would still get behind, let's say, the full game line of minus four and a half for Tampa Bay? That is a good question. I, I do think like mainly my handicapping angle is kind of on the, um, you, you know, like the scripted play set. So I'll, kind of like you said, if you if you lead in the Panthers direction, like you, clearly you do, um, I, I'm not as comfortable playing like four and a half as I would minus three from a first half perspective. So it probably is a, a situation where I would either lay off entirely um, maybe wait till game time to see if we do get any movement in one direction. Kind of like you said, it did seem like we would maybe get something in Tampa Bay's direction, which has not been the case whatsoever. 
Um, but if there was that sort of movement, like maybe that's, you, you know, maybe if it does move a little bit further in Carolina Panthers direction, like that would be a spot you could potentially get in on Tampa Bay if you don't have that quite quality of a number. But I think it's kind of minus three, minus 120, minus 125 is kind of like the last spot that I really want to play. And I don't think I'd really want to touch three and a half. And I don't really think I want to go with the full game to, uh, full game spread, I would say, either. Got it. All right. So let's say is a, a consensus I'm seeing minus three, minus 120 available for Tampa in the first half and, and maybe good up to minus 125. But we don't want to get any juicier than that. And I know, Ben, we have a bit of disagreement here as far as my inclination to back the Panthers in this one. You're looking at the Bucks again, not going head to head at the same number in the same exact market when we're talking full game versus first half. You touched on scripted plays and how that could favor Tampa Bay earlier. Is there anything else to the handicap that you think is worth considering if somebody in my position just looks at this without knowing the teams as deeply as you do and says, Hey, like Tampa is clearly the better team, but at, at this number, it seems like that's already baked in. And then some that scripted plays angle sounds good. Is there anything else that somebody might want to consider before just going to rush to the window as if there are all that many betters who have any eagerness whatsoever to rush to the right. window to put down a ticket on Carolina. I mean, if I, if I need to pitch you on uh, betting this game or not, I would maybe just side with not betting on this game, you know, in some ways, but to me, I, I do think, you know, just in general, like, uh, you know, like the Buccaneers offense has been, you know, better than expected. I do think in a lot of ways they maybe ha have just started to kind of figure out like the Chris Godwin angle. And that has opened up, I would say, a decent amount for Mike Evans as well. And, and Baker Mayfield's played, you know, not only better than what people would have checked in the preseason, but maybe even like a little bit better than, you, you know, what his potential range of outcomes were kind of at the midway point of the season as well. So he's a guy that I think is, you know, continue to get better. And, and I do just think like, for all intents and purposes, like the Carolina Panthers seem like they are, you know, completely off base right now. You know, the the, the off the field stuff is obviously concerning, you know, very much like a, a team in disarray. And that's just something that I, I think they just kind of want to move on from the season more than anything else. And I just don't see any sort of life happening on that side of the football. So I do think, you know, from that perspective, you know, it, it very much is kind of like Tampa Bay or nothing for me in this matchup. Yeah, I hear you on Carolina being one of those teams that is eliminated. And really, a, a lot of teams that seemingly have nothing to play for are still going to be quite motivated. We don't necessarily want to bank on that applying to the Panthers. I will say, as I've isolated a pick, that angle does come into play with a team that seems eliminated, but I do expect a full effort. Honestly, this is probably my favorite card of the season. I'm really surprised to think that at this stage of a week 18 market. We'll see how that pans out. But for one side that really stands out to me this week, I'm looking at the Chicago Bears current line of plus three at the Packers. And this to me is the quintessential props and hops play. I've got a slew of betters whom I trust who take different approaches and have all seemingly landed on the Chicago side. So that much consensus might be a bit of a red flag. Don't want to get caught up in too much of an echo chamber here. But when I think of guys who have a track record, I really respect like Suma, Hitman, Rob Pozzola on forward progress. Las Vegas Chris and Steve Bezik on the Bet US NFL show. Sharp Clark on the Move the Line pod. If Chicago cornerback Jalen Johnson is in, Clark is in on this one as well. I just think when I hear that many people who I respect coming at it from so many different directions, that can make an impact. And it's not just the fact that these people are on the game, but some of the context behind this look at the Bears plus three. It is one of those classic cases where it's a must win for Green Bay and the Bears are all but eliminated. In this case, I think with the magnitude of this division rivalry and one that Green Bay has really dominated lately, we can expect a full effort from the Bears to end their season on a high point. 
And looking at these defenses, Green Bay, they were fine defensively against Jaron Hall on New Year's Eve, but I think we've still seen plenty of red flags recently. They allowed 30 points to the Panthers and more than 300 passing yards to Bryce Young. They allowed a perfect passer rating to Baker Mayfield at Lambeau Field, and they got carved up by Tommy DeVito in a loss at the Giants. Of course, DeVito has since been benched. So I don't just think at this age we're looking at a questionable defensive coordinator in Joe Barry. I think there's also some questionable personnel, and that can really make things an uphill battle for the Packers defense against any borderline competent or better offense in the NFL. I think the Bears have that borderline competency at offense, and on that Chicago defensive unit, unlike the Packers, I think we're looking at a strength here. Since week five, the Bears third in the league in EPA, first an explosive play rate allowed. And I think especially as Jordan Love has looked for big plays being one of his calling cards, that's something the Bears might be able to limit in this setting. The Bears also playing at the best rate in the league from a run defense perspective since week five. I'm always a little bit leery of arbitrary cutoff points. I don't know why I think it was Hitman or Suma's handicap breaking down the Bears defense since week five, really being on a roll. So at this point, Look at whole season numbers as well, but I do think for the Bears who have been rolling for the better part of a couple months now, a few months at this stage, there's something to their defensive improvement over the arc of the season. And I also note the Bears defense on a major upswing against play action. So I kind of wonder what the Packers are going to be able to do to exploit any weaknesses against that Chicago defense. And zooming out from more of a macro level, power ratings for these teams just about equal. I know Green Bay has a strong home field advantage, but I don't think it's worth as much as three points this day and age against a familiar division rival, especially when we're looking at a point spread that's sitting on the king of key numbers. So Ben, I'll toss it to you for your thoughts on this in a moment. I'll just note to Tybo around this handicap, kind of a recurring theme for me this season, doing midweek shows, not always the best time to get the best of the number, but I don't think that means we have to pass on bettable numbers. So I will acknowledge Chicago plus three and a half was available early in this betting cycle, got snapped up pretty quickly. I think plus three is still bettable. And we don't have to pass on it out of stubbornness just because the best of the number appears to be gone. Of course, if we're not working with the best of the number, manage your bankrolls accordingly. But Ben, all that said, a long windup. Any thoughts on your end when it comes to this Bears-Packers matchup, the Bears catching a field goal at Green Bay? Yeah, definitely. I I think you honestly crushed it on on that handicap. I would say, you know, from like, you know, Pinnacle Sportsbook perspective, like they have it all the way down to plus two and a half. It is plus 105 you know, from from the juice perspective. So maybe that's just like an over-aggressive price where they want to get off of plus three, not necessarily reflective of where the market's potentially heading at down to plus two and a half. But I think from that perspective, like you said, like there's no reason to avoid a bettable number just because an early week number was better than what the current offering is. And I do think in some ways, you know, that's just the struggle with doing um, you know, time-based content as well as like you, you, you're you're obviously trying to time the market from your bets perspective, but also releasing that information and everything else. Like it, it is kind of in some ways, not necessarily a guessing game, but it, it does make it really difficult to time everything and kind of hit it perfectly, I would say. So I definitely wouldn't shy away from the bet just because three and a half hit. I, I, I'm with you. I think the Jalen Johnson, you know, it, it is obviously going to be crucial from a cornerback perspective, kind of limiting um, limiting what the Packers have done from a big play perspective. Um, I, I do think like Jaden Reed's availability as well, um, you know, it, it is something that I'm going to consider. I think he's still kind of, um, you know, iffy in a lot of ways, haven't had a ton of like 
I would say, early week information on where he's going to be at. But I think that's another key piece for the Green Bay Packers. It does sound like Christian Watson, after not playing last week against the Minnesota Vikings, is supposed to be back and in the fold. But if they're missing both Jalen Reed and, you know, Christian Watson, like, that's kind of a recipe for a disaster for Jordan Love and the rest of the receiving unit. So I don't, I don't, I definitely don't hate the handicap. And I think just going back to our overall week 18 discussion as well, and kind of comparing like the Panthers and the bears, like it does just seem from like, this isn't a quantifiable angle or anything like that, but it does seem like in a lot of ways, the bears and the Panthers are kind of opposite spectrums for who you would expect to kind of show up in a week 18 matchup. That means absolutely nothing for them. Obviously the, you know, the entire off season is going to be dominated by what the Chicago bears do at the top of the NFL draft and whether Justin Fields, you know, it, it is in a lot of ways going to be the guy for the, the future quarterback for them, or if they're going to draft another young quarterback at the number one overall pick. And I think, you know, to me, it, when you have a guy like Justin Fields, who is kind of like, in a spot where he does need to showcase his best ability betting into that in a spot where, you know, you know, the Packers are maybe just a little bit overvalued because of the must win angle. Like that's something that I can definitely buy into from a handicapping perspective as well. So I'm very much with you on that. I haven't bet the bears, uh, but I do think that you've kind of talked me into at least taking a, you know, some sort of action on them, uh, you know, line shopping basically after this match, after this podcast, I would say for sure. All right, and one point behind a look at the Bears, again, that defensive improvement over the course of the season, and I think that ties in with a question we have in the chat from our mutual friend, Tej Seth, a colleague of yours over at Sumer Sports. Tej asking, which season performances have moved you guys the most this year? I'll let you think about it for a minute, Ben. As you were giving your last thoughts, I, I thought quickly offhand, I'm going to go with the Rams because I think we all left them for dead before the season started, and sometimes as much as I love to connect with brilliant people in this space, people who are so analytically savvy and strong with data, such as yourself and Tej, who was also on the show earlier this season, I think that it sometimes can be a little bit overcomplicated, at least in my own head. And at the end of the day, the Rams have a likely Hall of Fame quarterback and a brilliant head coach. And those are two of the most important ingredients to an NFL franchise. So a lot of unknowns with their defense or the supporting cast entering this season and sometimes unknowns can break negatively, but they can also break positively. And if you know that you've got the quarterback and the coach in place, then you can still achieve an awful lot. So I was really, I think, had a blind spot in that sense with the Rams entering the season. And I'll do my best as much as I love to love to nerd out on the data, not to lose sight of the simple things that have also been tried and true in terms of how much they matter in the NFL. So I'll go with the Rams this season. I don't know if Tej is going for a specific team performance or maybe individual performances, but that's my initial thought. Ben, anything on your end? Yeah, I do love the Rams look, and I guarantee you that Tej probably loves it from a Matthew Stafford angle as well. Although, you know, Tej got the best of both worlds with, uh, you know, both Detroit and the Los Angeles Rams kind of winning that Matthew Stafford trade. And the Michigan Wolverines. Sure. And the Michigan <laughs> Wolverines, right? Although he's, yeah, he's... He's a little off that bandwagon, I would say, I guess. But it's it's been a good run for him, I would say, for sure. Um, to me, I, I think the spot that has been the most – I don't know if it's the most surprising to me whatsoever, but the thing that I think has most excited me uh, and really been kind of a cool transformation, I would say, is Lamar Jackson kind of returning to MVP form under Todd Monaghan, doing it in, in a lot of ways in a completely different way than where he was at in 2019 when he did win the MVP trophy as well. I think that whole Baltimore Ravens team 
kind of coming together was not something that I expected whatsoever. I think I was probably lower on them, you know, than the betting market consensus heading into the season. I think in a lot of ways, you know, the offensive and defensive coordinator acquisitions that they've had have broken really well from them. Mike McDonald as well, you know, kind of looks like that maybe like that one B head coaching candidate type guy after his performance on the defensive side of the football. So I think overall, like, um, you know, obviously the, the, they're staring down, you know, being the number one seed in the AFC. And I think a lot of people would have been surprised at that. But I, I think overall, like that's the performance that not only did I not see coming, uh, but I think it's very much been the most impressive. And I do think, you know, come playoff time, it, it would be really exciting to kind of see a, a, a long Lamar Jackson type playoff run where they do actually end up getting to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and as the holder of a preseason flyer on Lamar to win the MVP at 18 to 1, I'm fortunate that things have <laughs> taken a turn for the best down the home stretch here. So good thoughts on some performances that have moved you over the course of the season, as well as looking at NFL Week 18 from a sides perspective. Ben, if we also want to look at things from a teaser perspective this week, I think it might be important to lead off with an obligatory caveat that teasers are inherently a bet against variance. We want a game to stay within a certain number of points from the point spread at kickoff week 18 is fraught with variance. So that can make teasers a pretty dicey proposition, especially when a lot of teams have some starters sitting motivation again, can be anybody's guess. So how do you approach teasers on a card like week 18 compared to the rest of the season? Yeah, definitely. I, I would say, you know, just in general, like, the idea behind teasers, kind of like you said, is like you want to bet them at the most efficient time. Obviously, that would be, you know, in the lead up to kickoff. But in the, from that idea and context, like, you know, outside of the unknowns from week 18 in general, like teasers should be getting more effective as the season progresses in a lot of ways. And if there wasn't some of the resting consideration type things like week 18 would be the best spot for teasers. But it, it to me, um, you know, given the price that I can currently get, offered from a two-team teaser like it's just not been a spot that i bought into too dramatically you know obviously shopping for um you know some lower total type outcomes to pair with that teasers there's not a ton i would say um you know on this particular betting card uh you know miami in some ways maybe looks like one of the better teaser legs but the 49 point total i think would definitely scare people off so it, it, i think it's kind of tough and light so i don't think i will really be uh I, I would say locking in or having any teasers here coming up in week 18 for sure yeah, that's fair. A mantra of mine, as long as I've been doing the show, is that our biggest edge is betters, is the ability to pick and choose our spots. Books have to post yeah. lines for every game. And if we're going to lay the big, we better do so with a good reason. And no problem to quote the whale capper Drew Dinsick on this show earlier this year, calling it a teaser bye week if the options aren't enticing enough. So can't fault anybody for doing that in week 18. I think one thing you noted about the process I'd like to underscore is that Waiting can be a good rule of thumb for teasers in general, especially with all the moving pieces this week. We want to get as much information as possible. So if somebody is considering a teaser, no harm done and letting betters hammer point spreads into place and letting market efficiency become our friend later in the week. To quote my good friend, Las Vegas, Chris, hurry up and wait. There's nothing wrong with betting teasers right before kickoff. And with that said, I understand the show's happening now. So in the interest of providing as much value as I can, I'll run through my usual process, identifying fits on the board that fit the advantage model of crossing through the key numbers of three and seven. Right now, you touch on one of them. Miami can be taken up to plus eight and a half hosting Buffalo on Sunday night in the regular season finale. And then the only other real option I'm seeing at this stage, the Jets up to plus seven and a half at the Patriots. So 
that leads me to a process of elimination where I see Miami, but I also see that point spread Buffalo minus two and a half shaded toward the three. I prefer a cleaner cross through the three if I'm going to be getting down on a teaser and it takes two to tango. So that means no two team six point teasers for me this week. I will say one thing worth noting, some books do have Houston laying a point and a half at Indy right now. That's not consensus. So I won't make it official for the purposes of this podcast, but where you can find an option to tease Indianapolis up to plus seven and a half and pair them with the Jets up to plus seven and a half. I think that is one of few teasers on this week that will be very justifiable. And then thinking a bit outside the box, Ben, not the standard two team six point teaser, but I'm looking at a three team 10 pointer good up to minus 130, which a good number of books are offering, especially in the offshore market. The Jets plus 11 and a half at New England paired with Las Vegas plus seven and a half hosting Denver and the Bills plus seven and a half at Miami. And the context here, the Jets, I think one of my top takeaways this season relating to this leg is that I've really reconsidered the importance of totals and teasers. I don't think totals are as critical to the equation as many have made it out to be, including previous versions of myself. It is still a small factor worth accounting for. And I think the factor gets magnified at the extremes. And when we're talking a total of 30 and a half, that's about as extreme as it gets. So I think this total does magnify the relative value of each point you get in teasing the Jets up through the seven and a two team six point teaser, or in this case, up through three, seven, 10 and 11 in this 10 point teaser and pairing the Jets with the Raiders and the Bills. These other two legs are both shaded toward three-point favorites. I mean, the Raiders are a heavily juiced two and a half, and this teaser neutralizes the VIG. It's like getting closer to 10 and a half points for that same price of 10 points. I wouldn't be surprised if both of these teams won outright, and if that's not the case, we still have a seven-point cushion should they not prevail. So again, this is a three-team 10-pointer, good up to minus 130, Jets plus 11 and a half, at the Patriots, Raiders plus seven and a half hosting the Broncos and Bills plus seven and a half at the Dolphins. Ben, any thoughts on that approach? Trying to get a bit outside the box, but grasping at straws for some teaser value on this pretty wonky week 18 card. Yeah, I think I, I think it's really interesting. I know even when we, you know, kind of had talked last year and stuff, um, you, you know, some of like the base rate expectation things that I had done. Uh, you know, probably even like two seasons ago at this point from a teaser perspective, I do think it would be really interesting to kind of revisit that, um, you know, from a 10 from a 10 point approach, kind of like you said, that isn't something that I have, I, I would say, looked into a whole lot or, 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 or ever really done. So I think I'd be really interested in seeing at least like some of the key initial spreads that are, are are most likely to be really beneficial um, in, in using that wider you know spread teaser base uh, as opposed to just like the six the six point teaser. So uh, I think overall it, it sounds good, and I do think kind of like you said, like lower scoring environment just in general. It does seem like with more backup quarterback play and everything else, um, you know, teams in some ways not having a ton of play for. It. Like I do think that in general would trend towards lower scoring games. And I do think from that angle, you know, you know, teasers are probably going to be a much better option in week 18. And in a lot of ways could be a spot to reduce some variance for sure. All right. Well, fingers crossed on that three teamer, but on your end, if it's going to be understandably a bye week for teasers, we'll see what we can uncover in the prop market. And as we transition into another bet type, I think we've got another obligatory caveat to address off the top here. This is the last chance to trigger performance incentives for a lot of players. And there's been a lot of talk about that. It's become quite polarizing 
early in the week 18 betting cycle. One example, DeAndre Hopkins is on the verge of triggering some incentives for yards and receptions. So Ben, on a broad level, what's your point of view on props for players who are close to incentives when we're looking at the week 18 prop betting market? Yeah, so I think for me, you know, personally, and kind of going back to this like philosophical discussion, like this was a really, in some ways, like decently profitable approach in few a few seasons ago i would say i think like 2019 2020 in a lot of ways were kind of like some of the first rumblings of people kind of using this idea more of like a twitter-based fashion or would at least start tweeting about it and that was kind of when you know i would say some of these things maybe weren't necessarily baked into the market uh as aggressively as they are now or weren't overbaked into the market to me now any sort of like relatively obvious one is already going to have I would say a pretty drastic, um, you know, skewed outlook based on where that guy should finish because of the incentive, as opposed to where he would just be priced at without that really understanding or base. So to me, uh, it's just not really an angle that I, I think is all that prevalent any longer. So in some ways, I just haven't gravitated towards, and it does seem like books I would say have definitely over adjusted to that emphasis, knowing that people are kind of focusing on it. Uh, I, I just think there's probably like you know, in some ways, better spots elsewhere now, because that is very much seems like an edge that has, if it hasn't already dried up, you know, in prior seasons, uh, it very much is already priced out of the expectation, I would say early on in the week. Yeah, and not to make this too much of an echo chamber where we're just agreeing with each other on everything. I did try to push back a bit on that Tampa Bay look, having gotten down on the Panthers earlier in this week's betting cycle. With regard to what you just said about these week 18 player props. I'm in alignment with you here. A lot of noteworthy player incentives, by the way, don't even have props priced yet at or near these target numbers that would relate to the contract incentives where they are posted. I think we can pretty safely assume that the incentives are priced in, if not overly priced in. And something that we can lose sight of, a lot of teams are still prioritizing winning over individual stats so in rare cases this could of course come into play but at this stage the cat's largely out of the bag it's largely priced in so with that in mind ben player contract incentives or not anywhere you're looking on the week 18 board for props that show value in your eyes yeah the, it, it is tr and i and i do you know i don't want to harp on it too much but i do definitely agree with you in the sense that like all the things that it would be even be close to, you know, have already been overbaked in. Maybe there's like a long shot ticket or two that you could maybe come up with uh, that that has some sort of potential. But there's just not a lot of, I would say, like strong, um, you know, I would say strong, you know, contract incentive type plays at this point in time. So it's very much a spot that I'm not getting into. Um, I, I think for me, you know, you know, I, I think it's interesting, um, you know, in some ways, obviously looking at like the Saturday game. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, this Pittsburgh Steelers and Baltimore Ravens matchup in some ways, obviously, you know, Baltimore, it, for all intents and purposes, is going to be resting everybody. Pittsburgh has, you know, incentive to play, can get into the NFL, uh, you know, AFC playoffs based on winning and needing a few things to break correctly for them. But being the first game, like it, it's not really going to be all that impacted by them. I think, you know, a, a guy like Mason Rudolph, there is maybe some risk of him potentially getting pulled 
earlier than expected. And I do think you kind of see that play out in like his passing yardage numbers, but a spot where I think is, you know, undervalued from that angles perspective is kind of him going under 0.5 interceptions. Obviously if he doesn't get a ton of opportunities to drop back, you know, it, it's more than likely than not that he isn't going to throw an interception at like a plus 115 plus 120 price to not throw an interception. Like I, I just think his over interception has gotten too out of whack with where he's at if the Ravens kind of rest some starters and, and the Steelers do maybe jump out to that early lead, I think there's just a ton of scenarios where Mason Rudolph doesn't actually end up throwing an interception. And, and I do like him to potentially go under that number. Uh, I also don't, you know, I, I don't think it's too outlandish to say um, that he could have at least a relatively decent game from a passing yards perspective. I do think instead of going over on his number, kind of just talking about, you, you know, where the, the Steelers are maybe going to be at from the quarterback position in general and what they could potentially do mid-game. Uh, I do think a guy like Deontay Johnson to go over 39 and a half receiving yards is more the spot that I would play if you do think the Steelers are going to be, you know, at least a little bit more successful moving the football uh, against a Ravens defense that we're just not quite sure who's all going to be in the fold or not. So I, I like some of those early looks, and I do think, you know, from a Week 18 betting perspective, Kind of having that understanding, especially with teams that we know are going to be, you know, playing for something. We know that the other team isn't like finding some angles, but more so in the in the prop market, I think is kind of the best approach to kind of take advantage of some of those matchups. And part of me is relieved that you looked at Rudolph under half an interception again as good as plus 120 is available and plus 115 is widely available. So we can call it good at that number as well. But when I look at his passing yards, Part of me thinks, okay, I know the Ravens have said they're arresting Lamar, but the Ravens are a deep team. And we see in the preseason, right. even when the stakes are pretty low, they tend to show up and make a pretty honest effort out of each game. And that will lead me to believe that maybe they could hold Rudolph in check. And I see his passing yardage lines between 191 and a half and 195 and a half. And if I want to look to the under, then I think, geez, passing yardage props for whatever reason, maybe it's just me, small sample size, but I was talking to another pro better, Joey Isaacs on the show a few weeks ago, and he said passing yardage props give him a lot of pause. He tries to find other angles because there can be so much volatility. So I feel like every passing yardage prop under I've played this season that's gotten closing line value, again, props aren't as liquid as full game sides. CLV doesn't mean nearly as much. You'd rather have it than not, but it hasn't mattered in terms of the results. I feel like every quarterback I've bet to come in under passing yardage has found a way to soar over. I mean, Jake Browning in that game against the Vikings was sitting, I think, in the double digits well into the second half. Right. And he he got up pretty close to 300 yards by the time that late rally by the Bengals was all said and done. So I, I guess two things for you here, Ben. One, any thought about passing yardage prop unders in general and the volatility? Does that steer you specifically toward the Rudolph interceptions look? Or is there anything about this matchup where you would say, yes, you like interceptions the best, but you would still have interest in passing yards under if we're looking at a number for Rudolph passing yards in the low to mid 190s? Yeah, I, I do think you are, you, you know, in some ways on to something basically as far as like trying to better understand some of the distributed outcomes for game script and how those drive things like passing yards and receiving yards. But then there's also like the explosive play rate um, you know, of particular offenses and how quickly they can kind of accumulate some of those, you know, passing and rushing, receiving yards type things. And I do think, you know, that is maybe something I wanted to touch on earlier, but that was very much kind of a, 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 a I thought like a really undervalued 
in-game betting approach. I know like FanDuel and DraftKings and those sorts of places do kind of offer some of these in-game prop market opportunities. And if you even have an idea of, you know, usage early on in the game, um, you know, from from like when I was at PFF, like we we had, you know, access to some of the charting data and could get like snaps and those sorts of things. And that's very much something that, you know, guys like Nathan Yankee and those sorts of things like tweet out in certain aspects, like those can be really profitable angles from both sides of the equation, right? If you have a guy that isn't playing a ton, obviously betting his unders, but if you have a quarterback as well who maybe hasn't necessarily hit on some of those deep shots, but has at least been looking downfield and it does seem like the game script in general is kind of leaning in that direction, you know, a la Jake Browning, you know, obviously needed to have some sort of comeback in that Minnesota Vikings game. Like there are those sorts of opportunities if you at least have a little bit more of a wait and see approach. And I think that's been you know, my main prerogative is like trying to understand more of the in-game market and kind of how that could potentially move based on game script and everything else. And it does seem like some of those markets just aren't going to ever be as efficient as what they could be pre-game. So in some ways, waiting for the first couple of snaps or first couple of drives and, and seeing the performance of Mason Rudolph and maybe also seeing the performance of the Ravens defense it is in some ways probably the best and correct and least risky opportunity to make some money, I would say, betting on player props this weekend. All right. I hear you there. Thank you for the insight. I also want to note, Tom, you had a question in the YouTube chat regarding the Cowboys and Giants and some correlation there. We will get to that soon. So thank you for the question, not ignoring it. But for now, sticking with props, and I guess veering away from my trepidation when it comes to specific player props such as passing yardage unders, Ben, I'm going to look at a game prop this week and go with the Jets and Patriots first turnover of the game to be a fumble at plus 150. And you <laughs> talked a little bit about live prop markets, how sometimes books are just going off of a chart, not accounting for the nuance of a specific environment. In this case, I think we're looking at a standard line for a first turnover to be a fumble, but this is not your standard setting. When we look at the weather, sustained winds, possibly sustained snow as well. Freezing temperatures, a strong possibility. I think that could put a damper on these passing games. And then when we look at the quarterbacks involved, I know Trevor Simeon and Bailey Zappi are not strangers to interceptions, but I think that these two options are a heck of a lot better than an alternative universe where we get Zach Wilson and Mac Jones in this matchup. When it comes to availability for this prop, I am seeing it at an established offshore and I expect it to become more widely available as kickoff approaches, I consider it good to plus 130. Ben, given the weather, the quarterback matchup, any thoughts on first turnover in the Jets-Patriots game to be a fumble for a nice plus number, plus 150 available now and good to plus 130? Yeah, that is, it is interesting. I feel like I haven't really probably understood like the base rate for where that should be you, you know it from you know a fumble in comparison to, like an interception or something like that just league-wide this year uh, and in some ways like those two particular teams but my but not necessarily my inclination but i think it's interesting and maybe from like a greater you know sports betting discussion is like i i do think there's probably two sides to the weather related approach right because obviously it should in some ways lead to more rushing attempts which would lead to more fumble opportunities but in some ways e even with the decrease of passing attempts like it's possible given the weather considerations and everything else that some of those passing attempts although we don't have the volume we, we maybe are going to have a lot more really poor ones that could potentially lead to an interception so i think that that is you know not necessarily one that i 
probably fully understand that well, but could maybe see both sides of it to the point where I wouldn't be overly confident kind of playing, uh, you, you know, fumble as aggressively. But I, I am kind of with you in the sense that, like, it, it does seem like these two teams are going to, you know, uh, run the football and play defense and kind of wait for the first team, the other team to kind of make that first mistake. And if that's kind of the angle, uh, I do think a, a plus price fumble prop does at least make some sense, but probably wouldn't be something that I would be, you know, overly anxious or playing from a really aggressive standpoint. All right. Very fair pushback there. And I'll throw out an unofficial bonus prop here as well. Ben, I think you'll agree with this one. Everybody's probably going to understand that it's much more likely than not to occur. Let's look at the Rams and 49ers not to go to overtime minus 2000. I know this is a very steep price, but similar to the previous prop, <laughs> It's a standard line for no overtime and a matchup that is anything but standard for the regular season in the NFL. Right. Both teams are going to be resting their starters. The Niners are locked into the one seed. I think we're going to see much more of a preseason mindset. And if this game is close late, I'd expect both coaches to try to avoid overtime at all costs. So I think it's worth flagging once again. This is a lot of VIG that demands bankroll management. But I can't fault a small flyer, perhaps for a little beer money. I would even consider this good up to minus 3,000. That's not available everywhere, but I am seeing a 20 to 1 at a pretty prominent offshore. And at 30 to 1 or better, I think it's worth, again, a small flyer for those who can shop around. Any thoughts on that angle? Yeah, I actually do really like that angle because I, I am definitely with you. Like, I think, you know, especially in the preseason, the prerogative is to, like, get out, get, get out from the game as quickly as possible. Like, no one's playing for overtime. We do see this price quite a bit from a Super Bowl's perspective and, and a lot of these other regular season games and stuff like that. So I think like the one thing for both these coaches is basically to get out of this game as quickly as possible, which means no overtime. And I think both of them would probably be willing to do just about anything to not have to play for playing overtime. So I, I'm definitely with you on that. I do think, you know, obviously, you know, laying a heavy juice bet isn't for everybody probably should be especially in some of these situations uh but that is very much something that i could definitely get behind for sure all right so we'll take that one and run with it and then i'll see if there's one more bonus that i'll throw out there see if you can get behind this one as well it's a rare parlay for me and i'll throw a question from tom onto the screen he asked a few minutes ago about anything on an alt spread first half for the cowboys in the giants fourth quarter money line i was tweeting about that earlier today looking to find the sweet spot of maximizing the correlation while not paying a ton of juice. And to that end, I would say that my first look wasn't even the alt line in the first half. It was Dallas minus seven with some extra VIG or some books minus seven and a half with reduced VIG paired with the Giants fourth quarter money line, which is in the range of plus 125. With those two legs parlayed, we're looking at a payout in the range of plus 330, if not a bit better. And the angle here, if the Cowboys are up big at halftime, then the Eagles likely lose hope for the NFC East title. They could call off the dogs at the Giants to maximize their health for a road playoff game next weekend. I think with this angle, we've got some wiggle room on the payout here. I consider it good up to you know anything better than plus 300, let's say. And hat tip to plus EV analytics on Twitter. He's the one who specifically flagged Dallas alt lines in the first half to really magnify that factor of Dallas being up big at the half and encouraging the Eagles to call off the dogs. So on my end, I was able to find it in offshore Dallas first half minus 10 and a half paired with the giants fourth quarter money line that bumped the payout up to plus four seventy five, And it looked like Tom has done me one better at Caesars 
personal eyeing Cowboys minus 16 and a half in the first half and Giants fourth quarter money line payout well north of 10 to 1 plus 1060. Obviously, with a payout this big, yeah, it's unlikely the Cowboys are going to be up by three scores at the half, but it's squarely on the table. And if it does happen, there is that nice correlation with what the Eagles could decide to do in their game at the Giants. So, Ben, any thoughts on this look at perhaps a correlated parlay on the Week 18 slate? Yeah, I think that the unorthodox correlated parlays are obviously some of my favorite uh, betting opportunities in general. I actually did not, I had not thought about um i had not thought about this one whatsoever i actually haven't but probably is you know going through but i think in prior seasons especially this has been a spot that has been at least some of the most entertaining sweats that i've ever had is kind of finding or piecing together some of these correlated outcomes in week 18 that you know no one out no one's obviously going to price into any sort of correlation based uh you know adjustment to the, the the number or anything like that so i love it to be honest with you and i do think like more and more like these are the sorts of angles that people kind of need to take advantage of and be willing to actually not only risk a little bit on, uh, but but kind of see and spot for others and kind of press some of those edges. And I do think long-term, like those are some of the most sustainable and probably best betting strategies that you can have, I would say, to maximize your dollar. Yeah, I, I love the edge here. And maybe because of the edge or some of the uncertainty at a lot of sports books, I'll also acknowledge this is not available everywhere. We can't find a really good alt line for the first half at every book or a fourth quarter money line price for the Giants at every book. So with that in mind, I'll say that I am seeing Dallas first half minus seven and the Giants fourth quarter money line at both a leading U.S. regulated book and an established offshore. However, if somebody doesn't have access to that at this stage, perfectly okay not to have every book under the sun as much as we like to preach line shopping. I think there's an in-game plan that I will recommend, and I had to appear to Steve Fesick at Co. on the Dream Preview podcast. I think if Dallas is up by three scores at any point in the second quarter, so a lead of 17 plus, that's a good time in the moment to bet the Giants plus the points in their game against the Eagles because the Cowboys, again, if the Eagles are doing some scoreboard watching and see Dallas pulling away, that tells them what they probably want to do to optimize their chances next weekend on the road. And if Dallas is up, not by three scores in the second quarter, but let's say by double digits, so 10 plus at the half, that's a good time to also bet the Giants' second half point spread. I think in that case, you'd probably have to act fast because people will catch on to what's up in the Dallas game once we see the second half line materialize for Eagles-Giants and people sense that the Eagles could have a lack of motivation there. So something to look for in-game if Dallas should amass a three-score lead in the second quarter or perhaps a double-digit lead by the half. One more subtle edge here that I'll throw out. I think there's a slightly greater chance than usual that the Eagles elect to receive if they win the toss. They typically defer as does pretty much every team in the NFL these days. But Nick Sirianni could be eager to get his offensive starters some reps early in the game in anticipation of that possibility of pulling them later on. So, Ben, if people don't have access to the pregame correlated parlay that we discussed, any thoughts on that in-game look? Yeah, I, I, I do think it is, you know, a, a worthwhile approach. Obviously, you're waiting for some, like, you know, setup to happen, basically. Um, but I do think it could definitely be you know something that actually develops quite a bit and i do think you know kind of just like keeping it in the back of your mind um you know understanding or at least having a plan of action if things kind of break in your direction it is very much i would say not only you know a, a good thing to do but probably a needed thing to do from an in-game betting perspective and i would say very much like the approach that people need to have if you do want to be successful is understanding you know from pre-game 
what 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 directions could this game go and how would you actually approach or attack those things and i very much think that that is you know probably the optimal way of actually identifying some opportunities in game for this week 18 game and as a way of transition to a shameless plug of mine that i issue at this point of the show each week another optimal way that people may want to approach things would be to consider that i am partnering with right angle sports in an affiliate capacity this season and they're offering something for everybody from NFL picks to college basketball picks where they've got an unparalleled track record of success. So if anybody's interested in trying them out, no obligation whatsoever, but you can support Props and Hops by supporting Right Angle Sports. I built a custom link you can use to do so, tinyurl.com slash RAS picks. Now, Ben, we've talked about a lot of picks so far on the show. So I'll take a moment to give a rapid fire rundown of our Props and Hops NFL Week 18 portfolio. Sides, Ben, looking at a first half angle, Tampa Bay minus three at minus 120. Consider that good up to minus 125. And I'm on Chicago plus three at Green Bay. For teasers, very understandably, it's a bye week for Ben. In my case, I think there's just enough of value to get in play on a three-team 10-point teaser, good up to minus 130. Jets plus 11 and a half at the Patriots. Raiders plus seven and a half hosting Denver. And the Bills plus seven and a half at the Dolphins. Looking at props, Ben on Mason Rudolph under half an interception at plus 120. Consider that good to plus 115. And I'm on the Jets-Patriots game's first turnover to be a fumble at a nice plus payout of plus 150. Last but not least, a bonus correlated parlay, if you will. Dallas first half against the spread paired with the Giants fourth quarter money line for a payout of plus 330. Consider that good at anything better than a three to one payout. And if you don't have access to this yet, or if you'd rather wait and see how things are shaking out in real time, no problem there as a way of an in-game plan. If Dallas goes up by 17 or more in the second quarter, bet the Giants in-game line against the spread at the Eagles at that point. Or if the Dallas Cowboys are up by 10 at halftime, 10 or more, be quick on the trigger, but you can use that as an opportunity to also bet the Giants second half point spread against the Eagles.